Okay, let's see if this clicker works. Oh, wonderful. Now, you've heard about the outreach internship, right? So it's going to be our privilege to come and host it right here in Durban. I'm so grateful to Wayne and Trish, uh, who are on sabbatical, and uh, they opened up their hearts when they thought about having this event being held here in Durban. And I was so impressed by the fact that they were like, it must happen here. We tried to do it um, last year in 2016, but because of the World Conference, we decided not to. But, but Wayne was on my case, and he was saying, are you still doing that thing? If you're doing that thing, Durban wants it. So I spoke to the apostolic team, uh, our ALT, our regional apostolic team, and I said, this is what we want to do. We want to train 70 evangelists. But we don't want to just train the evangelists. We also want to grow a local church while we're doing it. Because the way you train someone is not just by giving them information, but you train them by giving them something to do. Amen? On-the-job training. And that's why it's called an internship. Amen? Uh, If we called it outreach school or school of evangelism, everyone would think, oh, all I need to do is come and take some notes. No. We want to get people active in sharing their faith. And as they do that, a great harvest is going to come in. Amen? And that's where we need your help. Because... Here as a local church, we need you to open up your hearts. We need you to open up your hands and to receive this influx of new people. Amen. Some of them are going to want to sit, to sit in your seat. Are you okay with that? Are you ready? The harvest is coming. Are you ready? And it's going to be absolutely amazing. So that's what we're going to be doing for uh, 15 days right here in Durban. And just to give you a little bit of an appetizer, um, these are our faculty of speakers that we're bringing in. So we've got people from Michael Cassidy to um, Simon Lerofolo, uh, Roger Pierce, Francois Lafia, Langa Bonambi, who's going to be helping with worship during the second week, Uh, Bishop Lamba Lamba, all the way from DRC, he's going to be here. Um, Some of you might know that guy there, Matlatsi. Winston, a.k.a. Azim, South Africa. Amen. He's absolutely phenomenal. He's going to be uh, one of the speakers. We're going to beam in uh, Chris Overstreet from America. He's going to come and do a a Skype teaching session with us live. Um, Donovan Alding, a local Durban guy, he's going to be there. Evangelist Ralo Kolela confirmed just this week is going to be here as part of the faculty. It's going to be amazing. Uh, If you don't know who he is, he's one of the premier evangelists in South Africa. He's led hundreds of thousands of people to the Lord, and that's not an exaggeration. It was probably an underestimation of just how fruitful he's actually been. Phenomenal, phenomenal. And at the bottom there, that's the national evangelism team, uh, my partner in crime, Enrico. <laughs> and then we've got Yaku Aldevacher, we've got Rasuna from Grahamstown, and uh, all the way from the wonderful city of Johannesburg, Neil Mahomey, who's um, single, and I'm trying to find a wife for him. Amen. But on the last weekend, a very special, we're going to be having We Will Worship. Amen. Now, we need your help. We need your help to invite every single person you know, even the ones you don't know. We need your help in order for you to invite your grannies, your uncles, your aunties, your cousins, every single person that you might think is remotely interested or needs the gospel. Amen. 
We want to flood this place night after night after night. We want to invade this place with the glory and the presence of God. Amen. But we need your help to do that. Amen. So thank you so much again for opening up your hearts for this event. It's going to be absolutely amazing, and we're trusting God for a big, big harvest. Amen. Who's excited about this? Hey, okay, three of us. It's okay. These are like the early adopters, you know? There's always a diffusion of change, of innovation, you know? You get the early adopters, you know? Anyway, I won't get into that. I've got to preach this morning. Um, it's an honor for me to preach this morning and kick off this new series called Recon. And the reason that I'm really excited about this series is because it's an opportunity for us to investigate uh, the heart of God. Amen? And so often when we hear the word evangelism, well, you know, we get so scared. Amen? There, there are two questions. If you want to make any Christian afraid of their walk with God, ask them two questions. Number one, how many hours a day do you pray? Number two, how many people did you lead to the Lord this week? And these are questions that we're all afraid of, right? But do you know that evangelism is meant to be as easy as breathing? Evangelism is meant to be the lifestyle for every single one of us. Do you know that evangelism can be a joy? And if we understand the heart of God and the ways of God, and the purposes of God, evangelism moves from being a drudgery into a joy, into something that you want to do all the time. And it's not just for evangelists, it's for everyone. Amen? Wow. Jesus put it this way. He said, Love the Lord your God with all your... with all your heart... Mind, soul, liver, kidney, toe, everything. Amen? You all know that's the first commandment. Jesus said this is the first and greatest commandment. But the second one is like unto it. What's the second commandment? Love your neighbor as you love who? Yourself. Now, if we want to talk about loving our neighbor, we first have to start with loving ourselves. You see, the gospel only travels to the degree that we understand what God has done for us. Amen? And if we are amazed at what God has done for us, then we go out propelled by love and compelled by love, like it says in 2 Corinthians 5, later in that chapter, earlier in that chapter, (laughs) somewhere in the Bible. So we become compelled by love for our neighbors. Why? Because we understand how we are loved by God. So it all starts as an affair of the heart. A revelation, an understanding what God has done in our lives. I remember hearing testimonies of these radical Christians. And their testimony always started something like this. I was really, really bad. I used to serve the devil, take drugs. I was a pimp into prostitution and all that kind of stuff. I was the lead cheerleader in the kingdom of darkness. And that's why I love Jesus and serve him today. And I'd like to think, oh no, there's no hope for me. I've never been a pimp. (laughs) Never taken drugs in my life. I'm not a good sinner. 
So how can I be a good Christian? Now, here's the thing, because I thought that, you know, the, the greater your sins are, the better your Christian life will be. And the Bible says, because he who is forgiven much, loves much. So I always thought that, oh man, I've only been forgiven a little. I didn't do big sins. I was not a mass murderer. I didn't do all these bad things. And I used to think, because I've only sinned a little bit, then I can only love God a little bit. But then the penny dropped one day as I was reading the book of James. The book of James says that if you're guilty of breaking one part of the law, you're guilty of breaking it. And I thought to myself, why didn't they tell me this when I was a sinner? (laughs) Amen? (laughs) Like I would have made up, you know, like, hey, (laughs) one sin is as bad as that, you know. But when I realized that my one sin, my supposedly small sin, would have sent me to eternal damnation, would have sent me to hell forever, oh man, I started to realize that I have been forgiven much. I I don't know what your sins are. Maybe they're not as bad as those sins. You know those sins? Those sins that we always condemn are the ones we're not committing, right? Come on. So, so because I've never slept around, oh, I uh, condemn people who sleep around. Oh, terrible, terrible. But if I'm sleeping around, oh, homosexuals, whee, I don't like homosexuals. Hey, you know, always the sins we're not doing are the sins that we condemn, right? But all those sins, you know that all sexual sins sends you to hell, not just homosexuality? Good morning. If you're guilty of breaking one part of the law, you're guilty of breaking it all. So if we're going to get this evangelism thing right, it starts with us. Us getting a revelation of what God has done in our lives. Because if we have that revelation, it changes everything about us. A.W. Tozer put it this way. He said, the most important thoughts you have about God, sorry, the most important thoughts you have in your life are the thoughts you have about God. The second most important thoughts you have are the thoughts you have about God's thoughts about you. What does God think about you really? What does God think of when He looks at you, when He peers down from heaven? Metaphorically. And He's searching Durban and He looks at you and He looks into your life intently. What does God think about you. I'm not talking about that other guy or the person down the road. I'm asking about you. What does God think about you? One of my favorite passages of scripture that give me an insight into the heart of God comes from right here in John chapter 8. Turn with me your Bibles to John chapter 8. We're preaching this morning. Amen. Verse 2. Now, early in the morning. Now, I still have about a, another 12 minutes before I wake up. Amen? Our church service starts at 10. Okay, so when I heard 8.30, I was like, yo, 8.30. Anyway, Jesus loves 8.30 services as well. <laughs> now, early in the morning, he came 
again, who's he, Jesus, into the temple. And all the people came to him and sat down, and he sat down and taught them. Okay, all the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. Verse 3. Then the scribes and the Pharisees, everyone say scribes and Pharisees. Brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, so they dragged this poor lady and they put her right in the middle of the meeting. So imagine the scene, if it was a place like this, they would have burst through the doors in the middle of the message and came and brought a woman kicking and screaming and put her right here in the front of the church. Verse 4. Then they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery, in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. What do you say? I love this because this is so much like us, right? When someone is sinning in our lives, we get all judgmental. Amen? Or is it just me? Is it just a Joburg thing? Oh, okay, it's a Joburg thing. Sorry, I didn't... <laughs> but when someone is sinning, we start to judge them. Now, the scribes and the Pharisees and the scriptures always represent the standpoint of the law. They represent the standpoint of the law. And according to the law, they were right. According to the law, they're, they're right. According to the Bible, drinking is wrong. According to the Bible, sleeping around is wrong. According to the Bible, being addicted to pornography is wrong. According to the Bible, homosexuality is wrong. According to the Bible, there are a lot of things that are wrong. If you want to know what's wrong, the Bible is full of rules, about 630-odd rules and commandments in the Old Testament. Do this, don't do that. And if all you've ever read about the Bible is the Old Testament, you have the understanding that God has a standard. And if we don't meet that standard, we are to be condemned. So this woman, in the middle of the meeting, they were right. She was wrong. She was guilty as charged. No one could dispute the reality of sin in her life. Now, I don't know about you, but when you think about your own life, we often know our imperfections more than we know what's right with us. Some of you, when you look at yourselves in the mirror in the morning, you look intently, and you're like, Eish, God, why is my head shaped this way? Why, why couldn't, you know, the nose, God, you know, maybe Michael Jackson was right. And we're so fixated about what is wrong with us. And it's exactly the same in the spiritual realm. We're so fixated on what is wrong with us. We're so aware of our, our sin, of our failure. And according to the Old Testament, it's right. We deserve judgment. You deserve judgment. I deserve judgment. 
We all deserve judgment. Is that wonderful? I want to give you a warning quickly. And it's simply this. That if you don't understand the purpose of the law, you use it wrongly. The Bible says the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. If all we ever do is understand that if we sin, we're wrong, we've got an incomplete understanding of the purpose of the law. Of the law. You know, I remember sitting uh, while I was a student at Rhodes University. Uh, I remember going to the spur one night. And I looked across and there was a young man trying to impress a young lady. And I think he was probably having ribs or something like that that night. So they brought to the table of this couple, true story, a bowl of hot water with lemons in it. And I thought, oh, he's going to wash his hands now. Lo and behold, in his desire and zeal to impress the young lady, the gentleman proceeded to lift up the bowl and sip from the bowl. I, I don't know how the rest of the night went. But I'm pretty sure that was the end of any relationship. Now for those of you who are not laughing, let me explain something. <laughs> let me save you. <laughs> when a bowl comes to the table with hot water and lemons in it, it's not for drinking, it's to wash your hands. Amen. You see, if you only get half the story, it'll kill you. <laughs> so we need to understand the right purpose for the law. Just like this bowl with the lemons had a right purpose and a wrong purpose. Because if we think all the law is there to, is to stone us, that is where we start to develop an image of God, that God is out to get me. So I want to summarize some theology. Can I do that for you? I want you to go back and I want you to read in your own time Romans chapter 7. Because the following points are taken from Romans chapter 7. And I've summarized it this way to help us understand the law. So the first thing we need to understand the law about the law is this. The law is there, the Bible says, to point out our faults. To tell us where we go wrong. That's part of the purpose of the law. The other thing the law does, the Bible says the law is good. Because if it wasn't for the law, I wouldn't have known what sin was. You know, it's so amazing. The Bible says that God has written his law in the hearts of men that we might not sin against him. It, it, it doesn't matter whether you've heard about Jesus or not, whether you grew up in a Christian home or not. The law of God is written on our hearts. And when we do something wrong, we know it's wrong. Look, sometimes we, we, our conscience becomes seared because we make a decision to like, start, you know, like hold it together and pull it in and, and I don't care what God says, I'm just going to do my own thing anyway. 
For the reality is that there is a witness in our hearts, a witness in every human heart of what is right and what is wrong. That's why you can go to any culture on the face of the planet and they will tell you it is better to love your neighbor than to eat your neighbor. Amen. Universal. Romans 7 carries on and says this. It says the law has no solution for this sin apart from our own efforts. So according to the Old Testament, if you fail to reach God's standard, your only hope is to try harder. To try harder. Now, I went to a boys boarding school called Plumtree High in Zimbabwe. And at this boarding school, sport was the in thing. And we'd all do athletics and, you know, my worst event was always the high jump. (laughs) Now, is it a very unfortunate thing when you're already short to start with? Amen? And now you have to jump this high thing. And so you try. And even if by some miracle you got over the bar, they would raise it higher. <laughs> and even if you got over that, what would happen next? They would? And that's what happens with the law. Just when you think you're doing good, you read in the Bible, I'm meant to do that as well? I, I didn't know. No one told me. So the only solution the law gives is try harder. Then the Bible says this, but the law stirs up the sin nature. Because, let me put it this way. In our boarding school, we used to have a law that if you're a junior, you could not walk on the grass. Yeah, it was one of those schools. If you're a junior, you cannot walk on the grass. You have to pavements like, you know, only seniors were allowed to walk on the, gro- on the grass. So, as I've lived my life past high school, and I see a sign anywhere that says, do not walk on the grass. Guess what is the first thought in my mind? Why not? Who's going to stop me? I'm walking on the grass. Look, I'm walking on the grass. Now, what are you going to do about it? I'm walking on the grass. There's something about the law that stirs up sin in us. That's why every young person always asks the question, how far is too far? Because the law stirs up our sin nature. The harder we try not to do something, Paul says that the very thing I tried not to do, I want to do. Oh, wretched man that I am. The the more I try not to do something, the more there's a law not to. I want to. Because the law has a purpose. All of this leads to more self-effort to be right with God. But here's the problem. God's standard in the high jump is perfection. That's God's standard. God's standard is perfection. 
And the reality is, when we eventually realize that God's standard is perfection, it leads us to the final purpose of the law, which is to point out our total inadequacy. Oh, isn't that wonderful? You do not measure up to God's standards. None of you. Pastor Lindo, I apologize. Even you do not measure up to God's standards. Oh, man. Why is this so important? Because the law points us to the fact that we need a Savior. And that we cannot save ourselves. Often when people are living under the law and haven't encountered the saving love of Jesus Christ, they live under condemnation. Have you ever lived under condemnation? It's like you're walking around in a dark cloud all the time. It's like a cloud of depression. It's a realization that you're not measuring up to God's standards and no matter how hard you try, you can never measure up. You don't pray enough. You don't fast enough. In fact, even while that fasting announcement was on, you're already devising, you know, like maybe I'll have like a liquid fast. Liquid fast with vegetables and like meat blended together. And like, you know, that we realize we don't measure up. We're not a good enough Christian. We don't measure up at all. And so we live under a cloud of condemnation. Condemnation does the following. Condemnation makes us feel negative thoughts about ourselves. Oh, didn't I define condemnation? Let's define condemnation. Condemnation is to express strong, complete disapproval of. So we feel God disapproves of us. Number two, to pronounce judicial sentence to a particular punishment. According to the law, I need and I deserve punishment. I need to have rocks thrown at me. Number three, condemnation means to judge or pronounce unfit for use. You know why many Christians don't serve in church? It's because they live under condemnation of their own sins. And they feel unworthy to be used by God. Do I get a witness? Okay, witness for the person next to you. <laughs> and point four. Condemnation means to find someone guilty of a criminal act or wrong. Are you living under condemnation? Are you living under the cloud of condemnation? Here's how you know if you're living under the cloud of condemnation. One, you have negative thoughts and feelings about yourself. I hate myself. Woo! I'm useless. I'll never get this right. Who's ever said those things to themselves? Again, confess your neighbor's sins for them. <laughs> this guy here, yeah. Condemnation makes us feel, I deserve bad things to happen to me. Because of what I've done. 
It's amazing. I meet some Christians and, and because they're sick, they think that they're sick because it's something they've done. Oh, there's sin in my life. Oh, because I'm ah, somewhere. Some, I sinned somewhere. Help me remember, Lord. Help me, maybe. Some, I sinned long ago. Condemnation makes you feel that you're not worthy to call yourself a Christian. Condemnation makes you feel like you're a hypocrite. Condemnation can lead to sickness. You know, you can make yourself sick by living under condemnation. They've actually done studies at the Mayo Clinic in America where they've seen that people's thinking about themselves can affect their bodies and give their bodies, I think, over 60 different kinds of diseases. Wow. Wow. This all leads to us living in a cycle of defeat. But you know what the devil tries to do with the law? He tries to get us to live in a place where we believe that God is angry with us and that we are separated from Him. I used to believe, oh man, God help me. I used to believe that when I did good things, I was close to God. And when I did bad things, hey, God was far. So there. And isn't that a mirror of so many of our lives with God? Is we believe there's this seesaw. Every morning God wakes up and looks at our lives and says, I love you, I love you not. I love you, I love you, oh oh, I love you not. I love you, I love you not. And we pretend that every day the love of God is like a lottery. Some days we get it and some days we don't. Some days we're close to God and some days we're not. But that's further from the gospel truth, Amen. How many of us have believed a big, fat lie? Because if we only focus on the Old Testament and try to live this New Testament life, according to the Old Testament, according to the law, we end up deceiving ourselves. The book of Romans chapter 1 talks about how When people look at this impossible standard, they exchange the truth of God for a lie. Have you ever exchanged the truth of God, what God can do, what God wants to do in your life, for a lie? It's called an idol. So we get God's substitutes in our lives. So, in order to be a good Christian, I need a plus. In order to have God's favor, I need a plus. So I think a good Christian is God plus good looks. Amen? That will make me complete. But the reality is that whenever you put a plus, it becomes an idol. And no idol can save you. I love how Tim Keller put it. He says this, he talks about how if, if being beautiful is your idol is what you're really looking for to save you, then you will always feel ugly. If you're looking to money 
as your savior. If you're looking to money to save you, you will always feel you never have enough. If you're looking to your intellect to save you, you'll always feel like you're a fraud and about to be discovered that you're not as clever as people think you are. Woo! So we believe a lie. I don't know what your lie is. Now, my friend Casper, he's got this song out called Tito Mboweni. Yeah, some of you are already like there. Come back, come back, come back. And you know, in that, in that video, it's all about the high life and becoming like, you know, all this mega star and that is idolizing the wrong things in life. Amen? But he had an honest moment on Twitter. And he said this. He said, you know, someone asked, what's your greatest fear? And this was his response. And Tito Mboweni, Shaq Shaq. The shake, shake. Shake, shake. Huh? Sha, sha. What? Oh, okay, okay. I thought guys would like quote scriptures back at me and things like that. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. So this is what he said. He said this. He said, his biggest fear is going to hell. When it's all said and done, I just pray I make it in. That's the most important thing to me. Now that statement alone tells me a lot about what's going on in his mind and in his heart. He clearly feels far from God and he doesn't know if he's going to make it. And then he carries on. And he says this. He says, you want to know my biggest goal is to make it to heaven. All these fancy cars and clothes in this current life is cool, bro, but they will stay here. And when I look at that statement, I understand his psyche. Because the psyche of many people, he's got a, God loves me, God loves me not. God loves me, God loves me not. God loves me, God loves me not. And the reality is that if that is in your mindset, you'll never live the Christian life. You'll never live it. So, let's get back to the Bible. Because uh, <laughs> I know some of you, the only thing you remember, oh, Tito Boeni. <laughs> John 8. Verse 6. This they said, testing him, that they, may have some, <laughs> that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger, as though he did not hear them. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone. 
Do you want to know what Jesus wrote on the ground? Do you want to know? I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. I know there are many sermons about what Jesus wrote, but they're all lies. We don't know. Doesn't say. Even in the Greek, doesn't say. Amen. But whatever he wrote on the ground, Jesus stood up and said this. He was without sin among you. Let him cast the first stone. And again, he stepped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, did they see it or hear it? Did they see it or hear it? Oh, okay. So those who heard it, so what was written on the ground, they also don't know. Being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone. And the woman standing in the midst. Verse 10. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? This Jewish woman who knew when she was committing the act of adultery that this was wrong because there's a witness of God's Spirit as He put His law in all our hearts. When she was caught, she knew surely she was wrong and deserved punishment. But what does God think about her? John 3.17 helps us. It says this, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. God doesn't walk around with a baseball bat, trying to beat us helpless and senseless because of the sins we do. God rather stretches out His mighty right hand to rescue us out of that miry clay so that we can live like we're supposed to live as His sons and daughters. What does God think about you? What does God think about you? We've got a problem in South Africa. 85% of the people in South Africa do not attend a Bible-believing church. 85%. 85% of the people right here in Durban believe that God is angry with them. They believe that God is just waiting with a baseball bat to corner them and beat them senseless about all the things they've done wrong. Do our sins matter? Oh yes, our sins matter because they will send us to hell. But there's something greater than our sins and that's the grace of God extended to sinners so that we can live free from sin. And you can have a look at Romans chapter 6. Because the Bible has an escape plan. And God has an escape plan. It doesn't matter how bad your sin is. It doesn't matter who knows about your sin. God has an escape plan for you. The question is, are you going to take it? Because when God thinks about you, He thinks about His love for you. I want to read out the message. um, Those two verses again. Verse 16 and verse 17 of John 3 from the message. Listen to what the Bible says. God didn't go to all the trouble 
of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help. He came to what? Help! To put the world right again. Anyone who trusts in him is acquitted. Anyone who refuses to trust in him has long since been under the death sentence without knowing it. And why? Because of that person's failure to believe in the one-of-a-kind Son of God when introduced to him. You know, Curry Blake put it well when he said, if our gospel is not touching others, it's because our gospel has not touched us. If I don't realize that I am as guilty as that woman caught in adultery, I'll never realize I'm forgiven much and I'll never love much. And if I don't understand God's view of my sin, I'll always be looking with a judging, accusing finger at a sinful world. When I get to the workplace and someone drops an F-bomb, I'll go, oh, it's not right to sin. You must stop sinning, okay? Sinning will send you to hell. We are not the swearing police. It is not our mandate. Our mandate is not to go and stop people from using the F word. Hey, some of you are confused now, huh? They listen when I say, you know... No, our world is not to go point out their sins, condemn them more. Our, our role is to tell them they have a way of escape. They have a way of escape out of the vicious cycle of condemnation where they, they keep trying in their own self-effort and their own self-energy to get closer to God but keep collapsing in, in, in failure over and over again. If you ever ask the people around you in your circle, this simple question, you'd be amazed at the answer. Awesome. Have you ever made a deal with God? Awesome. They don't even be a Christian say, have you ever made a deal with God? That God, if you let me pass this exam, I will dot, dot, dot. God, if you let me get this job, I will dot, dot, dot. God, if you let me get this girl, if you let me get this guy, I will Right? Because we've all done it, right? Because we think we've got access to God based on our performance. But our performance doesn't get us any closer to God. Our performance is not the basis on which God loves us and helps us. But once we are born again, once we are changed in our inward nature, we now have power to live right. We now have power over sin. So don't go to someone who's powerless over sin and tell them to stop sinning. They have no power. They have no engine room. It's like telling someone who's dirty, before you get into the shower, clean yourself. No, no, no. You need to get into the shower to be clean. You, you need to get into Christ in order to what? To live as a Christian. You know, there was a revolution that happened. And the revolution happened when Billy Graham was preaching. 
and his sermons were amazing. They were anointed and they were written by his wife. But anyway, that's another story. <laughs> True story. I hope you know that. Anyway, not all of them, just most of them. But anyway. <laughs> and I don't know if you've ever listened to a Billy Graham sermon. They're good. He's emotional. He's like direct. He's forthright. He's crystal clear. You know exactly where you stand. But at the end of every sermon, there'd be a powerful moment that would like strike a match and put it to gasoline. And the thing that made the sermon make so much sense to so many people was simply this. The song would start up and talk about how just as I am, I can come to Christ. Just as I am, you can come. Just as you are, you can come to Christ. You can have all that God. Just as you are, come. You can come into the shower, just as you are. And Jesus will wash you. He'll clean you. He'll make you whiter than snow. Amen? No more screen light. Anyway. Back to sermon, back to sermon. Why are you laughing, Enrico? You don't understand the struggle, bruh. <laughs> Let me land this plane. Let me land this plane. So that's us. That's us. We're far from God. But God made a plan. He sent Jesus to bring us closer to God. The Bible says that God made him, Jesus, 2 Corinthians 5 again. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to become sin for us, that we might become what? The righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So there's a great exchange that happens at the cross. So at the cross, God takes our sin so that we can have his righteousness. You know what righteousness means? Righteousness means to have right standing with. It means to be in the good books of. Amen? I wish I was in the good books of Epsa. That's what it means. No record against you. No mark of wrong against you. You have right standing with. No accusation against you. Why? What, what happened to your sins? Jesus took them. Why? So that you could be in relationship with God. If we're not fascinated by what God has done in our lives, will not realize that this righteousness makes us acceptable to God. And because of what Jesus has done on the cross, we can now receive from God. And we need this every single day. Again, Tim Keller says this. He says, the gospel, which is this. The gospel is not just the ABCs of the Christian life. It's the A to Z of the Christian life. It's not just how you get born again. It's how you stay born again. And we rely on the grace of God every single day. If I get knocked down, if I, if, I, if I mess up, I can get up again. Why? Because my identity is not as a sinner. My identity is a saint. I'm a child of God. And yes, I might mess up and make mistakes, but as I follow Him, those things will fall off my life. I don't know what you're struggling with. It might be as simple as swearing. Oh, I used to love to swear. Can you imagine me swearing, bro? 
I'll let loose a repertoire, but you know, I'm done with that. And <laughs> I used to struggle with swearing. It was my big thing. And I used to like formulate all these things about like, you know, how I could stop swearing. And you know, like sometimes I was like, okay, okay, let me just swear at this one guy, get it off my chest, off my mind, and then I'll be fine. At least for a day or two. Then like, you know, again, I can, you know, and then maybe you're sleeping around. Maybe you're addicted to drugs. Maybe there are deeper issues that you're facing in your life. Maybe you're stealing. I don't know what you're struggling with. But I do know that the cross of Jesus Christ is the answer. And so Jesus finally says to this lady, He says, Where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? Verse 11. She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Amen? You know, we've got this thing called hypergrace. And hypergrace is God does not continue condemn you, go and carry on sinning. (laughs) But true grace is this. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness but have the light of life. Who who wants to be free and live free from condemnation and from the law? The answer is right there. Follow Jesus. Now, if this message has hit you, you've got a fresh revelation of grace. Grace of God that is towards you. And it's the same grace of God God asks us to go out and share with the world. In 2 Corinthians, the Bible says that we've not been given the ministry of condemnation, but the ministry of righteousness. Let's say that together. We've not been given. We've not been given. The ministry of condemnation. But the ministry of righteousness. And the Bible puts it this way. It says that if the ministry of condemnation had glory, how much more glory will the ministry of righteousness have? Where we can relate to God, not on the basis of what we've done, but on the basis of what He's done for us. It changes everything. And there are 85% of the people in your world who are waiting to hear the good news. That God no longer condemns them. And is offering them a way of escape through relationship with him into a new life. This is the gospel. Let's pray. I know that... This message has said various different things to different people here. The first category I'd like to pray for this morning is, if you're here this morning and you say, Timber, you know what? As I've been listening to this, I realize that I've been living under condemnation. God wants to break condemnation off your life this morning. If that's you, just slip your hand up and say, Timber, please pray for me. And then you can put it down again. If you've been living under the grip of condemnation, thank you. And put your hands down. Many people across the room. And I want to pray this prayer. 
for you. And you can pray this prayer and make it your own. Say, Father God, I repent of living under condemnation. I thank you that you've taken my sins so that I have a way to the Father. From this day forward, I want to live in relationship with you. And as I follow you, I know that darkness will have no room. Darkness will have no room. Darkness will have no hold. Because you are the light of the world. Come and be my light. Come and change everything about me, Lord. In Jesus' name. Now, I want to pray for a second group of people this morning. And that group of people, you're here this morning and you realize that, man, you know what? I never wanted to be a Christian because I always thought I needed to sort myself out before getting right with God. But today I want to come just as I am. If God will take me just as I am, I'm coming just as I am. God, come have my life. Come change me. Come do whatever you want. But I'm coming just as I am. If that's you this morning, I want to pray with you. That you'd become born again and that you'll have newness of life. No longer living under condemnation, but living under the freedom of the knowledge that you're a son of God, a daughter of God, a child of God. And this is the beginning of a new day. If you want that, if you want that for your life, raise your hand right now where you are. Raise your hand right now. Thank you. If you want that, just raise your hand where you are. Thank you. See your hand. Who else? I believe there are two more people in this room that God is saying, come just as you are. Trust me. Trust me. And if that's you, you raise your hand. Can I invite you to come forward? I'd love to pray with you. Can I ask that sister there? Just come forward. Don't be shy. Another one over there. Can I invite you to come?